0: Don't close it down. gonna do a show, gonna get a new episode out. Where have I been? I can't believe that it has been so long since we've done a new show. Here I am. Oh, whoa. Where, <laughs> oh, are you still here? Oh, great. Well, welcome back to the Terrible Warriors. And by the way, we do have a new season. We're working on season seven, the seventh year of this... Wild and wacky ride we've been a part of. We're playing The Spire by Grant Howitt, and we are getting our cast together, and we are getting our schedules in order, and we are going to tell a very cool story. It is going to be a little bit different, though. I have ideas about how we are going to present this to you, and, uh, well, let's just say, Actual play podcasts have taken a bit of a turn for the competitive recently, and I want to make sure that we present this game to you in the light that I imagine in my mind. So, it's coming out soon, and if you want to be involved, we could use your help. Patreon.com slash Terrible Warriors, right? I mentioned that. That's how this show is funded and supported by listeners like you. In there is the Tip Club, the terribly important patron. And in that club, you get to be part of a monthly private game that I run for you. Well, guess what? We're playing the Spire. In the Tip Club, we we already have actually played one session of this game, and we're gonna keep playing the Spire, and it helps me learn this setting, uh, learn the game itself, and it gives you an opportunity to get a taste of what we are going to be doing on the podcast before we do it. So, if you'd like to be involved in helping to actually make this show happen, that is one of the strongest things you could do right now for me is help join that private game that we run. In the meantime, keep following us on Twitter at DiceWarriors. Join our Discord channel. I rant and rave and vent there all the time. And you can stay up to date on the development of our seventh year of Terrible Warrior content. It's coming. Thank you for your patience. It's going to be a wild ride. But I do have some wonderful content to share with you today. Because today, on the Terrible Warriors... We continue our Meet the Maker series. We continue to meet the people who make our games and lead our communities. And well, the thing about this guest that I am interviewing today is you might not even be able to play his games because his games are really weird and usually art projects that you can only see if you go to a gallery. They happen and then they disappear forever. Sharang Biswas is the kind of developer that is not really behind the scenes, but in the foundations of the community, helping to challenge why we play games, how we play those games. Not just the story and the elements, but even the mechanics. Can they be better done to help convey the story you're telling? Just rolling dice, that can be kind of boring. What if you actually eat the character that you're creating? What if you actually... Feel physically an item on the table to help inform your storytelling. These are the kinds of games that Shirang works on, and it has a ripple effect through the community, and you might not feel it. But when you're playing a game like Forbidden Lands, and you have your dice pool that is slowly disappearing as your health gets weaker and weaker in the game, that's the kind of thing Shirang is talking about. And even if you've never played one of his games, people like him are the ones that are influencing the games you are going to play in the years to come. This was a very exciting conversation, and about five minutes in, you're going to hear that I realized I was in way over my head. I was not prepared for the kind of conversation we were going to have, and how smart, how thoughtful, how intellectual Sharang was. He has a way of disarming you when you approach him, and... You want to talk with him more? And I could have spent an hour longer talking more about games with Sharang. And well, anyways, we met in the hallways of Breakout Con. And as I started most of these conversations meeting a complete stranger, I had to ask him, tell me about yourself. So why don't you join me as we meet Sharang Biswaz?
1: So my name is Sharon Biswas. I am a game designer, writer, and artist. I'm based in New York City. Um, and I make weird um, games. I don't make a lot of traditional games. I have a couple of games published. You um, we love weird games. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm weird. Yeah, I, I do. I, ri- I write a lot about games. I write a little bit for games as well. And I make. So I don't like doing just one thing.
0: What brought you into writing games and writing about games? What is it about the hobby that pulled you in in the first place? So,
1: okay. So I... Uh, was into like gaming stuff from a very young age. I grew up in the United Arab Emirates, uh, where there wasn't a lot of access to role playing game stuff. Um, but what I did, and this wasn't because I knew about role playing game. I remember in the third grade, I would have like role playing games on the school bus with my friends. I'd be like, and then you walk, what, you walk in the woods and oh, a bear appears. What do you do? And super subjective, right? If I was in a good mood that day, I'm like, yes, you like get dispatched with a bear. If I'm in a bad mood, I'm like, you get mauled. Because I wanted that to happen, and so I started doing that, and I got into that, and then I started playing Neverwinter Nights, uh-huh. and I'm like, wait, this is based on an, a thing. There's, 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 bigger, there's something bigger here. Yeah, and, and then I learned about that, and then one of my f- one of the new kids who arrived in school had smuggled a CD. With the first edition of D&D on it because you couldn't buy D&D in the Middle East. I think because of the like witchcraft and stuff in there, you know, the themes, people were like, we don't want to sell this. Um, it's too occult. Yeah. Um, I think that was the reasoning. I'm not sure. And I'm like, what is that? So when I went to college, I found people who actually play that kind of game. And then I got into the board game scene because I was part of a nerdy co ed fraternity. And then I started taking classes with Mary Flanagan, uh, who runs, you know, the famous game lab at Dartmouth. And so that's when I started getting into games. And I took the class and I'm like, oh, this is fun. I can also make them. I was an engineer at that time. And so after I got two engineering degrees, I'm like, I don't like engineering. I'm going to go to art school. And I went to Tisch and I focused on interactive design. And I started doing more game stuff. And I was always been a decently strong writer. And I'm like, oh, side hustle. While I'm in college, I can like write for a game, you know, get some income. And that's what started getting me into it. And that it really took off when one of my friends from the rival co-ed fraternity of ours, okay. Twitter messaged me uh, being like, Sharang, I am the editor-in-chief of ZAM Magazine now. Would you like to write for me? We pay like 20 cents a word. And I'm like, okay. She's like, I know you write well. So I'm like, great. So That really started me, uh, I started just based first just doing game reviews and then I started writing feature stuff. And then as I got more into games, I started going to conventions, I started reading like academic texts on games. When I, you know was further in grad school I started writing more of that so I have a first person scholar article coming out in the next few months about uh, queer community building a case study using just a little loving and beat generation and I like they're like heavily cited semi-academic paper about about emotional affect and social technology and like mechanics and and, and blah 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 and how to make so yeah so I, that's how I got into like the writing and the game design and
0: stuff I always find myself out of depth when I'm talking to people here at Breakout because there's something about, especially uh, when people start designing games, so many of them have come from an academic background that that brought them into the the challenge that that goes with the interactive game design. And what is it about interactive games, especially tabletop, where even unlike video games, where, where it really, the possibilities become infinite?
1: Yeah, because so that's, that's interesting theory. because the possibilities are infinite in one sense in a video game, right? Like you can code anything, but once you have that code, that is the code. You can't. You don't have the freedom to as, do anything. as a
0: player when I, yeah. when
1: I when I when I put in Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, I, I, all I have specific, is Sonic the Hedgehog. Though the fact that you have a spinning speedy Hedgehog is really cool. The fact that you can represent that is really cool, and only and video games can do that, yeah, which yeah, is yeah, really yeah, sure. powerful. And and of, of course. While, you know, I like role-playing games, I make role-playing games and things like that. Theater of the mind, everything is really powerful. There is something to be said about representation and visuals and sound, though, yeah. so like video games. I love video games, right? Um, when we're at, when we're imagining at a table, each individual has mind their own picture, which is its own beautiful thing, yeah. right? But they're very different, so I, I I I don't like it. So it's really funny because I'm involved. So one is not better than the other. Yeah, they, they it's, are it's, different. It's very funny because I'm involved in the role playing game world, the LARP world, the board game world, and the video game world. Right? I do stuff in all of them, which is funny because most people do not.
0: Yeah, they're all very different thought processes. And a lot
1: of people are like, oh, video game. They're like, oh, you're you play Nordic LARP. So you're like snooty or like. Oh, you play board for larks. You're like basic, or oh, you're a board gamer. Well, don't. It just no, sounds like no. you're
0: intrigued by the whole idea of I'm, gaming. I just
1: like games in general. Also, I get bored just doing one thing. And so, what is you said the power of role playing games? What separates interactive
0: gaming from other like narratives? Because uh, oh. I mean, you're you're a writer, uh, and, yeah. and yet you've been drawn into writing games that yeah. people are going to so, explore.
1: So when I teach, I always talk about. So you know, there are so many definitions of a game, but when I teach, I always talk about. It, the parts that I'm interested in games uh, are are the, the, the about process and procedure procedurality, right? I was pretty influenced by Ian Bogos' early writing and my course with Mary Flanagan, in fact, uh where I'm very interested in in, in what are you what decision taking or what are you doing, the verb is important in a game and how that conveys meaning or metaphor or, or learning or something, right? So why is the fact that um Android Netrunner, a game that a lot of gamers know, right? Um, the 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 fact that I'm physically building a fortress in front of me, like building a wall of cards to represent my defenses, is really interesting because I'm like, oh, so the the process I'm doing closely mirrors what the fiction is what I'm doing. i am into that. Or a game? Um, Have you heard of Starcrossed? Uh, I, I just played Starcross yeah, last so the, the, Yeah, the idea of a Jenga tower right? representing the, the tension, tension of your relationship. in Starcross is really palpable. As, as that tower begins to shake and yeah. gets more fragile. And at one point, but you also at some point want it to fall, yeah. uh, which is actually like in Jenga, uh, the exciting moment when it falls, it's like, ah! Right? Uh, if you played Sign uh, by Thorny Game, which is a wonderful little two-hour LARP that you can buy and play at home, uh, it is a game about a historical moment where a bunch of Nicaraguan children were brought together. Uh, they were all deaf. They were brought together to learn to lip read, but they ended up not learning to lip read. They ended up creating their own sign language, Whoa. right? And it happened in the 70s. Uh, and this is a game that uh, sort of talks about that time. And the players make their own sign language while not talking at all in the game. And by the end of the game, you are communicating complex emotional truths and thoughts in sign language. So the procedure. Really works and, and, and makes you feel like, oh my God, I've just made a language. And, 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 and the, the game is about, so the, the game is very careful, um, and very wise. They talk about this is not a game about what it's like to be deaf. Uh, it's, it's a, g-
0: a game about language it's a game about what it's
1: like to not be able to communicate and the frustration of that and so the, at the start of the game you don't have any signs yet and you're like pantomiming you know you have a truth to communicate I am scared that my little brother is not going to get anywhere in life pretty, it's, hard it's yeah, for, pretty hard. it's a complicated language yeah pretty hard to pantomime yeah, yeah. Um, so at the start, you feel frustration. Like I want to convey this truth, and you can't. By the end of the game, you have signs, and, and it's beautiful, and it, it it really recreates that feeling of frustration about language, and then oh, I'm communicating and That's how lovely it is. It's lovely, and so procedure and how procedures either actually convey emotion or when procedures as an artistic as artistic objects stand as metaphors for other things is what really makes me interested and excited about games there
0: was a uh i was uh, i i share the story sometimes when i was playing journey uh the, oh yeah yeah the I sec- love, uh, s- that game company yeah, the yeah. second time i went through journey um because you you, you meet up with other players yeah like through, real time right in real time and in this particular run i met someone in the first level who who stayed with me until the very end and joined me through the and showed me around and led me around to find all the achievements mm-hmm. and all the hidden items and uh, in this altruistic way. Because you don't get anything for doing that other than the satisfaction yeah. of doing it. And then even at the very end, they, they they drew a heart in the sand and then just walked off into the sunset and disappeared. Oh, that's so but, lovely. But as we were playing, because there's no way to directly – there's no chat. There's no voice. There's no text. All you have is a pulse that you can that you can send out mm-hmm. that will send a, sing, a symbol above your head. And they started – Using pulses to identify when there was a secret to find, oh. or, and, and and they created their
1: own language. Sort and of, and then
0: so then I started just going thank you, and I started just pressing twice, ding ding, and then they started going ding ding ding, which sounded like you're welcome. <laughs> and I don't know if that's what they were doing or not, but that's how I was reading it. And so we started doing different patterns as as we went through. you know, it takes about six hours, yeah. And and by the end of the six hours, we had a series of different beeps or warnings and gratitude Uh, and I'm lost. Where are you? And all this. And it was really, it really stuck with me. And, uh, and then, and then the game was over and this person just went off and, and, uh, and that was it. It it So I'm really
1: excited that journey is coming to the computer, um, to the PC because I've, I've, I've played flower um, I think I played Flow, but I I loved Flower, and Journey has always been really interested. I've always been really interested. in Flower, have you played Flower? I have played. Yeah, I, played, I, I loved, played all three of the games. Right, right. I loved it I played it in class the first time, and I'm like, what is this Zen amazing game with gorgeous music? Yeah, but then um, it gets dark as it goes through. Oh, yeah, through but it's as, still, yeah. like, gorgeous. Yeah, and um,
0: uh, I got to see Journey played live one year with a, a symphony. And uh, and it was a project that had been worked in years because the music is dynamic to the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they ran the sheet music on iPads so that as moments were triggered, <laughs> they the, the maestro could activate different uh, indications to the different players because they all have to start That's at different wild. places depending on the order that things went. And they did a lottery the day before. So every end of each chapter, a different player would sit down at the chair and play through it. And everyone was just in the audience just sitting and listening and it was I mean, it was just the most beautiful performance I've ever seen. That's in my really life. awesome.
1: And like, you know, when people talk about games, artistic uh constructs. So when I talk about games, artistic constructs, I actually focus on the pre- procedurality of the game and how the game conveys meaning through method, but those things which I focus a bit less on are super interesting about like the artsiness of the game, like the music, the thought that goes into it, the, like visuals. Like some games are like just gorgeous to behold. My, I always teach with this game. Uh, it's by it's called Auditorium by Cipher Prime Studios. It's free online, so you can Google it. Uh, it is a ga- minimalist game about music. It's like a little puzzly game, but it's like it's like super zen almost. And um, like I always talk about how like simple visuals that are really lovely and simple music can be very like emotional or very like how it can be very engaging. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about the, specifically the games you you have made and written. Yeah, we haven't yeah. even gotten to it. I think we buried the lead there. We started going off and everything else. Sure. You warned me at the very beginning, these are weird games, these yeah, storytelling yeah. games. Let me know about these. What, what what games sure. have you done that we could uh, that we could yeah. play?
1: So a lot of games I've made are like performances and like art galleries or art shows or theaters. So sorry about those. You can't play them until you find me. So on my itch, for example, I have Feast, which is one of my games that got a lot of um, press. So Feast, I first started... So there's a professor at the University of Toledo, Jason Cox, a friend of mine. He was like, on Facebook, he's like, 200-word RPG contest. Everyone should make a game. I'm like, sure. I have. I was writing an article. I was getting a bit exhausted. So I'm like, I'm going to pause for three hours. I'm going to tell myself I'm going to make a game in three hours. Um, this was like a couple years ago, so not that long ago. Uh, and then I'm going to just go back to my article. Uh, so I made a game. I was like, okay, well, I'm always about procedure. So let me think of verbs. And it's a common game design trick. Think of verbs that you want uh, to be in your game. And I'm like, well, what verbs do I like? I like eating and I like sleeping around. I'm going to pick eating. I picked eating. And I'm like, I'm going to make a game about eating. Uh, and then I was inspired because I was thinking, well, what can I do with eating? So there's a piece uh, by uh, Felix gonzalez torres called Portrait of Ross in L.A., which is a pile of multicolored candy on the museum floor. Okay? And when you when the docent takes you to it, they'll be like, yeah, sure, eat the candy while I tell you about it. So you can grab you the candy and you eat it. And the docent will tell you, okay, so this uh, candy pile weighs the specific weight. I think it's like 27 kilos or something. It's very light. Uh, and every evening, the guards uh, or the museum staff have to fill it up to an exact weight again. That's what the art piece is. And that's because that is the weight of the artist's partner, either when he was checked in or when he died, of age-related complications. Uh, and you eating the candy are the disease wasting away his body. Uh, and then most people... And, think, and, and by the time he's gotten to that point... you eating the point. candy. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, uh, people are like, what am I eating? Do I swallow this? It's yeah, already in my... What is that, right? And so that was intriguing to me, that idea. Uh, because it's like, I like what I'm eating, but it's also not a thing I want to eat. I, I simultaneously dislike what I'm eating, uh, what is what I'm eating? What does it represent? What memories it bring up? And so I made the game Feast where uh, ev- everyone who's playing before the game is assigned one of the five basic tastes, right? So sweet, salty, umami, bitter, and sour. And each person brings a food item. Ideally, you cook it, but obviously not everyone cooks. So you can like bring grapefruit juice, right? For bitter. And you put the food together and then you start the game where each of you makes a one-sentence character just inspired by what you see. So if I see someone brought croissant, um, for a, like a cheese croissant from mommy let's say i might be like my character is a, a a baker a french baker or i might see the cheese in the croissant and i say my character has bright yellow hair and that's what my character right you then you do that and then you don't play those characters you play alien parasites that infect those characters and are slowly eating away their thoughts and feelings until there's nothing left in an empty husk of their body because then what happens is each round you take a piece of food you you eat it, and then you let the flavors and textures and mouthfeel inform the memory you are eating. So you as the parasite get sensations of the a memory, which are the same sensations that the food gives you as a human. And then you basically regurgitate that memory in the form of a story. Like, this is the memory I'm eating from my host, the French baker, right? Uh, Based on the food and like a few prompts um, based on the round itself. And so by the end of the game, after you've eaten all the food, you have completely destroyed your host. You have destroyed their mind. You have consumed it all. But that is the only time you know who they are fully. So only through the act of destroying your host can you learn who your host is. And so I was very interested in that. I was very interested in, in the idea of, you know, the 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 Proust's Madeleine. Like, you eat a Madeleine, it reminds you of your childhood. And I was very interested in the idea of I'm eating something that is nice and good and nutritious and healthy and tasty. But it also means I am destroying this. I'm, like, disgusted by what I'm eating. And so that game, uh, it won an Indicate Award, and then it won an IGDN Award, and then it was shown in uh, the Institute of Contemporary Art um, in Philadelphia for a few months um, as a performance. I performed it a few times. And yeah, that got some accolades, so that's a cool one. And then I really got into this kick of food and games, so I made a second game called Verger, while the first game is about cooking. Um, Sorry, the first game is about eating food. The second game is about cooking. It's a one player game that you play in an empty kitchen while making salad. And you are it's about witchcraft and revenge. Um, And so you're narrating this tale of revenge. Uh, I have like a recipe format that you follow. Uh, and at the end of the game, like you have collateral people hurt with your revenge. And at the end of the game, you literally and physically eat what you have wrought um, you, to eat the salad. I like that that was shown in the Flow Gallery in uh, St. Louis. And then it was on the reading list for the Nebula Awards. And I'm like...
0: I love the, the 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 rituals that you you yeah. work into
1: your mechanics to the game. Yeah, I'm really interested uh, in like I think I mean there's a lot of writing about games as rituals. There's like a ton of it. It's nothing new, right? So I'm really interested in that. I'm also I mean um, flavor wise, I'm really into like magic-y things. Yeah. So, like well,
0: in like the process of eating and feast and 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 cooking, it, it, it's, yeah, it's, it reminds me of a, a, I took a mindfulness course and there was mindfulness eating as part of that and and just letting the 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 morsel the food be there and just let it evoke and follow the thought and the memory and meditating on that yeah um that at the same time this this story of destruction but also of this this mindfulness that's happening at the same time of examining the food in a way that you know a croissant comes in you just wolf it down in the morning for breakfast and it's gone in a few seconds (laughs) versus being stretched out of the course of a game like this and really examining what this food means to you or to your character.
1: And Verger, I specifically have instructions. Stroke the bitter herbs you have. Smell them. Now chop them.
0: Feeling the texture in your fingers and feeling like the process of Everything as it goes through, and taking your time with it.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm really, i really, I like especially the second one. I want it to be like a zen sort of experience that you play alone. Obviously, you can play with other people sitting and watching you, but you know, going to be played alone. Because I like food a lot. I like cooking a lot. I, re- I mean, my husband gets me cooking classes for birthday presents sometimes. I really enjoy cooking, and so I'm actually thinking of like I have a couple of uh, some more fleshed out than others, other food game ideas that I'm working on. So those are some. You're not the
0: first one player rpg i've met this weekend and and it's it's an interesting uh, i don't think it's something that most gamers would
1: think about yeah think Which is funny it was, because a lot of video games are one player exactly right?
0: but uh, even even as someone um, in, in some of these mechanics the one player is really as a way for the gm to tutorialize their own games and run through and play test uh-huh, it as a way uh-huh. to be able to um, let the NPCs kind of run on like an, an AI uh-huh, in a way uh-huh. through through the dice rolling, but it, it's it's fascinating to consider having the option. And and two player RPGs are becoming a little bit more common yep, now, yep, especially yep. in the last year, as we mentioned with StarCrossed and yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, and because it is. A challenge to you
1: know find a group of six
0: <laughs> people who yeah. want to dedicate and like, an afternoon. And like
1: for example, uh, my husband um, is not a gamer really. Yeah, I mean, okay, he's a triathlete, so he does a kind of game, but he's not a gamer. And I I want to be able to have games that are like short and that I can play with him quickly. You know. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not saying my husband is all my motivation, but like you know, it's nice to be able to play games with my husband. Yeah, of course. So speaking of two-player games, I was part of an anthology um, recently called You and I, Role-Playing Games for Two, which collected uh, a bunch of different games by ve- a diversity of designers, which are all two-player games. And some of them are like, you can play long distance over Skype. Some of them you play standing or sitting with each other. Some of them you have to like touch each other. Um, and it's a really nice collection of very different games uh, I, I have a lighthearted game about struggling to finish homework in wizard school, right? Uh, while they're like other oh, more heavy games. Um, and that's cool. I was
0: just told uh, this afternoon of a game, uh, uh, a two player LARP, first time caller, last time listener. I'm running that. It's
1: not necessarily two players, actually, oh. two to 50 players. Oh, yeah. Well, because yeah. every
0: caller, I suppose, can, can be a be different, a different player. Yeah. yeah. And
1: I've run that for university classes over Skype. Yeah. And that because I'm the radio host on Skype and they are the classes, the callers. And it's it's a really fun, cool game because it's good to introduce people to what is pretend play and LARP and, and embodied play, uh, especially because if you have new players who are nervous and are acting a bit like jokey, you as radio hosts can be like, Thanks, dude. That was a strange thing to say on live radio. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's got me thinking. I uh, when I'm not running podcasts, I'm, I'm a technical producer at a radio station, right, so I have right, access right. to a studio after hours. <laughs> and I now I'm running like, could I stream a game like this and have like our, our supporters on Patreon that join in and be players in this game as callers into this that game? Would be so awesome! And we run it like a radio show yeah. out of a studio yeah, with yeah, yeah. an actual phone you can call that yeah, we could yeah. patch
1: you in. Like, it's great. Yeah, Jeff Dieterle, uh lives in Jersey, the designer. He's cool. Um, he makes cool games. He has a new game coming out called My Jam, which is about a high school prom and dancing gives you magic powers with Eric Mercman. He made it. Um, so yeah, he makes good stuff. And then the project I'm currently working on, I'm really proud on is, so we got a grant. Um, my, co-des- my co-editor, Lucian and I, got a grant from the Effing Foundation which is the foundation that gives money to um, artists and activists and whoever that, who do work with um, sex positivity and like sexual health and those kinds of things. So, we got a grant to create an anthology of games by diverse authors um, that discuss um, sex, sexuality, and adjacent issues, such as childbirth, any of those kinds of things, or make uh, games that use sex acts as game mechanics. Uh, and we're really interested in this. We got a grant We're being pub- where we're in discussion with Pelgrain Press, who makes, you know, like 13th Age, Hashtag Feminism, Gumshoe, all those things, um, to publish it together. Uh, and we're really excited. Uh, um, we're soliciting currently designers, and then we're going to get six designers, and then me and Lucian, And we have a grant. So we're actually going to pay the designers, which we're really excited about. Part of our mission in the grant is we want to pay artists. And, yeah, we already have some submissions, and we're really excited um, for this project, um, hopefully coming out next year. Um, yeah,
0: you remind me. I have a friend of mine um, who is a magician who studies magi- magic academically. Nice. He doesn't perform. Okay. He doesn't uh, do shows. He works as a consultant sometimes. For uh, I think right now with Cirque du Soleil and okay. that, um, and and is is very much just immersed in the. Uh, the theories of magic and, okay. and the studies of magic. And, and you, you, turn, you, pledge, you, you, you you remind me of this, you're not publishing your games as designed to be like commercial products. And you and can, do, you, them, you, you but, can yeah. be, but you're, you're, you seem much more, uh, at least from our conversation interested in, in the theory of games and in the, uh, uh, the why's, <laughs> why we game and, and how we game. So I, I would love to ask like in 2019 here, what are, as friends of mine who are editing or writing games of their own, what are considerations you would suggest they have when they're writing these games and working towards them? And what are questions we should ask ourselves as gamers when we're at a table? Of yeah, yeah, yeah. you know why, you know the 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 whys that we might yeah. not always ask that we take for granted when we're at a table? Because it sounds like you've you've given a lot of these questions thought over the years.
1: Uh, so, yeah. So, well, first thing, uh, basic thing I want to say is uh, consider involving diverse creators in your games. That's cool. They will give you new perspective that you have never thought about. Uh, and that's a big deal, I think, and also uplifting voices. So consider adding diverse people to your team. Something I always make uh, talk when I talk to my students and things, I'm always like, are the systems or are the processes you are making the player do conducive to the story you're telling, Right. Um, uh, I was online on Facebook in one of the LARP discussion design groups and someone was talking about, so I have this game, we're doing a LARP and uh, I have all these skills for sneaking and blah, blah. And I'm like, well, if you're making a LARP, presumably the people are going to be sneaking. Um, Do you really want a skill sneaking if the LARP can be, you can sneak and you can do that in an embodied way, for example. Or he's like, I want... Uh, I want to make it a social LARP and a combat LARP and a politics LARP. And I'm like, so um, if you want it to be about something, it doesn't help to just be like, oh, story or lore. You want to add mechanics, things they do that reflect that. And if you want it to be social and politics and this and that and that, then you're going to add tons of mechanics. So why don't you focus on one thing instead? So I tell starting designers, um, or try and find one thing you want the game to talk about discuss or do and like hone in on that
0: that 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 uh strategy you use for feast of finding right. a verb
1: yeah it's it was, it literally i'm like oh what verb should i use i'm gonna use eating because i'm hungry and it's lunchtime um and then focus on that and that will make an interesting game i'm not saying games that do a lot of things are bad right i like playing dungeons and dragons it does a lot of different things does it do all of them super well that's debatable, right? It does some things really well, right? It's a good combat game, for example, and it can do other things. But A, some uh, there are a lot of designers who do that. And if you want to stand out as an artist, um, it's more valuable, I think, to focus on the one thing that you're interested in and on that you make more effective games, usually like that. Um, uh, Especially as an independent producer, rather
0: than trying to just make a Dungeons & Dragons clone,
1: make Uh, something that's unique to your purpose. When I teach general game design, uh, and especially when I teach kids, like teens, um, I'm always like, how many of you have played a game about shooting someone? Everyone. Great. Um, Describe some of the games you played. And you know, they give all these AAA games. I'm like, great. How much money goes into making those games? And they're like, oh, millions of dollars. I'm like, great. Do you have a million dollars? are you going to make a game that's equally fun or good or whatever as those games? they like, no. I'm like, great. You probably do not have the ability to compete with those games. So you want to make games that are different and interesting and, and you have knowledge and resources about. You don't have the resources to hire the animation team to make you know, the next first-person shooter game, but you have your own experience and life and thoughts. Turn those into a game. So that's what I tell students all the time. Um, And then sometimes they do make cool shooter games that are weird and bizarre. Like Superhot was made um, very casually, right? Yeah, Uh, And it's a weird, bizarre, wonderful game. And I'm like, yeah, that's a new thing. It's a shooter game, but it's a completely different different experience. Yeah, Yeah. Um, So that was cool. Uh, And then, so I always tell designers that. uh, That's the main thing I tell them. And then uh, what I tell players, uh, especially when you're playing a game with more than one person at the table... I try and shy away as a GM whenever possible to do solo scenes. I do maybe short solo scenes. Like, yeah, what happened last uh, last winter with the spying master? Hmm, tell me, you know? Uh, but I try and involve people. And sometimes uh, it is good practice as a player to try and pull in your other players. Um, you know, you're all playing together and it's really good. Every player wants to shine at some point, right? In most games where you have differentiated characters, many games you don't. But when you have differentiated characters, each character has like a shtick. Right? Like one thing they're good at or one thing they like doing. And in the game, you want to do that, especially if you had a one shot, right? You're like, oh, Oh I
0: got so many hours to catch I I
1: picked this like last night, I was playing Headspace um, and I I picked monofilament whip blades that I have and I decided they were in my dreadlocks. And I'm like, I'm going to whip my hair back and forth and eviscerate people. Uh, And I really wanted to do that. And the players and the GM created an opportunity. For me to do that, I did it once in the game, and I was happy. I'm like, I did that one thing. I really am good at. I can't remember right?
0: the I can't remember the author of the essay now. It was a plane to
1: lift. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was on nordicclub.org. Playing yes, to lift. Yes, it was. Um, uh, I think it was Suzanne, who I know she lives in Taten Island. Um, But Suzanne, it was it was
0: a fascinating uh, uh, conversation that I started having in my mind as I was reading this yeah. on, and, and and I and I thought back on games where players who just want to like run off and rob the store and yeah, and yeah, then yeah. the other group wants that and it ends yeah. up pulling things away and yeah. And, and versus if you want to play a character that's self-centered, play a character that's, that's cool, self-centered. But, you but as a but player, as a player yeah. you need to consider ways that you can give the other players opportunities to react. Yeah. And you to can do you. that
1: by playing a self-centered character who yeah. like does something that creates a problem that another player then has to solve yeah. using the thing they it's are okay good at. It's okay to
0: play a character that is making bad life decisions yeah. uh, and can be really interesting. but. Consider that it's not at the detriment of everyone else's yeah. enjoyment and, and opportunities. And different
1: games... Like, in D&D, you don't want to fail at things. In Apocalypse World games... You do want to fail at yeah. things in
0: masks. You don't get experience unless you, you fail, fail at things,
1: right? And so consider it like that, right? Um, and and I I I, I tr- when I'm a player, I try like if I'm having a solo scene. I was playing uh, with Hamish, his game. I was playing the sprawl uh, yesterday. Uh, I was the like corporate wizard, and I was like an executive, so I had a lot of power in the fiction. And so the first scene started with me, and then the, they I got a phone call. There's a problem going on, and I'm like, great. I don't want this scene to be all about me. It's going to get really long, so. The, my secretary was like, what are you going to do next? I'm like, oh, I have these two consultants I always bring in. Call them. And then that immediately swip, switched the seat to other people and that brought everyone in. And I'm going to toot my own horn and say I'm such a good player, which I'm I'm fine player but you know this idea of involving the others is is a good thing for players uh, If you have
0: never do. considered it before as a player this might be a point of ignorance that you have yeah, where, yeah, where oh you yeah. just don't you're not aware that what you're doing uh, we had an example in our 7th Sea game yeah. we had a player who just wanted to be bad at everything yeah, right? yeah, it was yeah. a Geralt of Rivia but only the bath scenes <laughs> and and so it's just this bishy Geralt character who's just beautiful and terrible at everything Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know if you know much about the 7th Sea a little bit I played a LARP of it, it. instead of being raised in the as like a monster hunter in mm-hmm. their version of Germany, Eisen. He was raised. He was adopted and raised in in Vodaci, which is like the Medici family right, and right. Florence and stuff. And it was just right. he was painted and the Mona Lisa kind of character through uh-huh. through, through their time. And but but still looks like. He's this monster hunter. So everyone okay, just assumes okay. you're the folk hero of legend <laughs> and, and he's not. So while the rest of the players were doing our investigation, we were rolling and you know finding out the histories of the family and what was going on and securing a boat to get out at nighttime when we rescue this person and get them out of out of town. Uh, uh, this character, Dirk, just went to the bathhouse. Yeah, spent yeah, yeah. all of the dice having a bath. I love it. But did it in a way then that became uh, – uh, an honored guest at the party we were trying to get into. And so while we it, it was still done in a way that gave us opportunity to react to this characters like what are you doing? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And, how are you, and then and then showing up and ultimately uh defeating the big bad at yeah, the yeah, end yeah, 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 yeah. in in a, a, a wild circular story that still at no point did I feel like the three of the other players at the table uh were it was at our expense. Right, right, right. Um and it's just yeah, it's it's once you once you think about it you, you never don't, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, and it just takes um, that it, moment and, first,
1: and so, yeah, that's what I recommend. And of course, good game design includes mechanical things that encourage that, right? Golden Sky Stories has mechanics where you doing fun stuff uh, allows the other players to reward you with experience, a kind of experience that you can then use, right? So, some games. Make that mechanical, which is a clever game design tool. Um, but yeah, that's a tip for the designer and a tip for the player. Yeah, yeah.
0: playing a, a diverse amount of games too, yeah, yeah. not just sticking to one. And yeah. uh, it, when I first started, it was just Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, and yeah. then once I started playing other games and from other writers and other perspectives and other intentions behind those games and when you return to that you know game that you grew up on that you really want to enjoy you bring with you all this other experience and understanding and questions to ask yourself
1: it's like when you consume any kind of art right like if you see a variety of art when you look at other art you can think about connections and links between them which of course doesn't mean that you're not allowed to spend most of your time doing the thing you like right like i Really like chocolate ice cream. I try other kinds of ice cream, but I will always just go back to chocolate ice cream because I enjoy it. Well, right? And when
0: you try those other flavors and you come back to chocolate, you, you you're able to identify chocolate. what yeah. it is that yeah. you like.
1: Um And so I, I ne- like I know I know there are people who are like, oh. Why would you play D&D? And well, I'm like, dude. And, and
0: this is an ongoing conversation that yeah. we have on the show. D&D is not a bad game. It's not a bad uh, game at all. I find playing other games brings you back to D&D with yeah. an appreciation of what worked in these other games and questions to ask yourself when yeah. you're playing D&D yeah. that make the parts of that game that you enjoyed even better. Right. Because yeah. you challenge. D&D suffers, I think, from a because it's trying to do so many things. Yep, and it's, yep, and yep. it's such a, a widespread mainstream game. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't convey... Those kinds of questions that mm-hmm. you might get when you're playing Apocalypse World mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and asking you, "Well, why are you with this team? And uh-huh, uh-huh. who, who, yeah. who do you hate? Who do yeah. you love?" It can, but it can. I feel like less from default. the game and more from yeah. the players yeah. over their over their time. It's not the default state. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, The default state is more like a, a video Heroic game or a wargame yeah. and 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 playing on a grid. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and 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 yet, and so I try to encourage like, you don't, don't quit D I I don't yeah, care, if you, yeah. but. Give these other games a try. Yeah. Do these one shots. Uh, uh, back in high school, my friend was like, we, we played a game of Paranoia. And yeah, then we yeah. went back to d d yeah. But after that, like, anti-RPG that that is, we came back to this game with, with another appreciation. Every time I play a new game and I return back, it's like a litmus test of what did I learn this yeah. time.
1: So I always tell people, you know what? Play what you like. It's, it's good to try new things. But don't let anyone tell you you're playing a bad game because, like, you play what you want to play, right? It's, yeah, it's like, like
0: telling someone they're listening to bad music. Yeah, or
1: whatever. Like, They can listen to whatever if they you want. you want to watch
0: superhero movies, that's fine. But it doesn't hurt to ask yourself why. And, and just try new things, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But
1: But play what you want.
0: So, uh, uh, Sharang, where can we find you if we wanted
1: to follow up? Because uh,
0: if, you're, if, if the person listening to this is anything like me, I want to read the, the, the things you've written and, yeah, and, and follow um, up on on your so other performances. So, I tend to
1: post things I do on my Twitter, which is at Sharang Biswas, which is my name. Yeah, find um, that in the show notes. The show, just show yeah. that. Look down. Look look below. Just just click episode details. It's right there. Um, and then my Twitter links to my website, which is sharangbiswas.com, and My H.I.O., if you want to buy some of the few things that you can buy, like like I said, a lot of my things are performances, uh, is Astrolingus. Um, That was my fraternity name in college. And you're stuck with it forever now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And that is linked from my website as well, if you can't remember all these things. Um, Well, you can because you can listen to it again. Uh, Yeah. And then I have some things on Drive Through. So search for Sharing Biswas author, and you'll find um, that the two-player RPG anthology is there. Uh, The sex games thing will be there ultimately uh, when it's out. Um, yeah and I tend to post when I do new things on my Twitter I'm like oh I wrote this thing and, and most of my links linked on my website as well
0: Sharong Biswas thank you so much for the time that you spent enjoy the rest of your day thank, thank you, very much. you you too you can follow Sharang Biswas on Twitter at Sharang Biswas the link is in the show notes as well as links to the games that he's made that you can play there were a few of them of course, Sharong is working with Lucian. We talked to him earlier on a wonderful anthology of erotic and sex-based games. So if that's the kind of thing you would like to learn more about, be sure to click through to that profile page that is in our show notes. The Terrible Warriors tries to have new episodes out every week, but right now we are developing our next game. We are deep down in the preparation stages of The Spire a wonderful and wicked world of revolution and oppression and freedom and challenge and oh it's gonna be a fun game and i don't want to put it out until i am absolutely ready to follow us on twitter at dice warriors for updates on our next campaign in the meantime expect more of these interviews and maybe a surprise one shot or two i hope to have the spire out very soon. And if you wanna help us in our development, consider supporting us at patreon.com/slash terrible warriors. There are perks involved, there's access to private games, and yes, I will start sending those postcards out in the mail. They're printed, I just need to spend the time to write all your names down and put them in the post box. Special thanks to BreakoutCon for giving me access to all of their amazing guests. The next breakout con for 2020 is happening. They've already announced another slew of guests. So follow through on that. And hey, maybe I'll see you and we'll play some games if you come up to Toronto. For now, thank you for supporting the Terrible Warriors. Thank you for playing games that open up the door to new players, for making your tables welcoming and accessible and wonderful and challenging. And well, thank you for being terrible warriors.